0: Welcome to The Waves, Slate's podcast about gender, feminism, and sports. Every episode, you get a new pair of feminists to talk about the thing we cannot get off of our minds. Today, you've got me, Shannon Paulus, a senior editor at Slate covering science and health.
1: And me, Evan Urquhart, a transgender journalist and the community manager for Slate's comment Pages.
0: Today, we are talking about whether sports, and specifically high school sports, should be co ed. This discussion is inspired by a piece in The Atlantic by Maggie Mertens. It's titled Separating Sports by Sex Doesn't Make Sense. I'm excited to talk about this because I was really, really into sports in high school, specifically cross country, track and field. I also did a, a fake made up third season called Winter Track, and I I'm still really into running as an adult. I'm training for a marathon right now. And running as an adult at the recreational level, you're usually not separated by gender. And, you know, when you sign up for a big race, uh, you do have to like put whether you're male or female on your form. But the Boston Marathon and the London Marathon, as of a couple weeks ago, you can register and indicate your gender as non binary, which is awesome. Evan, why did you want to talk about this?
1: This is a topic I can't stop thinking about, because as a transgender man, I'm really tired of the misconception that being born female makes people weaker or slower or just not as good as people who are assigned male. I've never really been an athlete, but when I looked more at sex differences and what we know about the science and the sociology there, I found that uh, something people can take for granted that men are stronger and better athletes and women can't really compete is a lot more complicated than people might think. Coming
0: up, Evan and I are going to talk about why the differences between men and women's athletic abilities are smaller than you might think, and some of the upsides and also thorny issues around making sports co ed. Uh, uh. Waves listeners, if you're loving the show and want to hear more, subscribe to our feed. New episodes come out every Thursday morning. While you're there, check out our other episodes too, like last week's about Britney Spears. All right, we're back and we're going to talk about whether, as Maggie Mertens asks in a recent Atlantic piece, separating sports by sex makes any sense at all, specifically at the level of middle school and high school sports. So I had two reactions to this piece in The Atlantic right away. I will say... um, before we get started, and we are going to be talking a lot about how small the differences between men and women are when you really look at it. But one of my gut reactions is that I can find it a little bit patronizing when people make sweeping statements in the opposite direction around sports. So specifically, I had a high school track and field coach who would say, the only difference between boys and girls is a label in terms of how fast we could run. And That was frustrating to me at the time because it was just very clear that, like, the boys' team was on average faster than the girls' team, Um, and it felt almost a little insulting to me. Like, oh, there's literally nothing stopping you from being much, much faster than you are except something in your head. So I do sort of bristle a little bit when people start to talk about, like, oh, like, biological differences, do they really exist? At the same time, the reality of, like, my physical existence today is that if you take a random sampling of men, I can outrun most of them. That's just a fact. I work very hard. I train, you know, I'm running, like, 30 miles a week right now, and it's just interesting that, like, sex becomes the default when we talk about, like, who is faster and stronger. Oh, well, it's obviously men. So, like, I'm kind of starting with, like, those two competing ideas in, in my head. Evan, what was your initial reaction to this piece?
1: I love the piece. I, I really focused in on the part about Colin Ives, who he came from a field hockey playing family. I think his mom was the coach, and he could only play field hockey in the U.S. if he played with the girls team, because unlike in other countries, field hockey is a girls only sport in most of the U.S. And it's absolutely true that on average, men have strength and speed advantages in most sports. But when we break that down, it just means the average is higher. So if you're looking at the top cis men and the top cis women, then the top men are going to be going to be faster. But for a boy like Colin Ives who isn't, you know, the the top, top athlete, it doesn't really amount to anything. He's, you know, he's not a top athlete. And in the piece, it portrays his performance is pretty normative on the field hockey team. I think it says that there are girls who are faster and stronger than him on that team. So, you know, these are overlapping distributions. And I think when we come from this essentializing place, we can really underestimate the impact that training and the social environment can have. I shared with you that story about women marathons records. The women's world record marathon time was demoted because Britain's Paula Radcliffe ran alongside men as pacers. Women who run alongside men have faster times. So what's biological about that? Elite women get less weights in their workout rooms. They make a lot less money. They have less fame and respect than comparable male athletes. And while I would never go to so far as to say that all of the differences are social – I don't think it's disputable that women's current records and times are artificially low due to social factors like these.
0: I would push back a teeny tiny bit on the marathon timing. Uh, right now, the men's world record marathon times are still about 14 minutes faster than women's, and that does seem like a pretty big gap to be made up uh, just by like, oh, well you know, if women paced with men, they would be that much faster. Like, that doesn't quite seem realistic to me, though I do get what you're saying about women and men having access to different resources and, you know, different expectations, which can be a huge influence on
1: how fast you run. It's definitely not the entire, doesn't make up the entire difference between men and women. But if you look at the difference between the 1957 fastest men's times, and the 2022 fastest men times, you see about 20 minutes. So we can see how social factors can account for a lot of time. And the best women from 2022 could beat the best men from 1957. I'm, I'm going to say probably hands down. I, I'm not a marathoner, but you know, probably.
0: Yeah. And on some level, like the entire enterprise of elite sports and in particular running is looking at the current what seems to be the current cap on human capabilities and being like, oh, well, like, what if we could go faster, further, and stronger than that? What if we could, you know, like, it almost sounds like a Nike slogan to be like, don't accept your limits. Like, (laughs) that's in many, many ways the entire point of sports. And to ask if women would be capable of being stronger and faster than they are if we remove some of these, like, social barriers that seems totally legit and, like, very pro sports. And 1957, that, when you're talking about, like, that comparison point for men's marathon times, like, interestingly, that was a time when women were not even allowed to compete in the Boston Marathon. Uh, The first woman to run the Boston Marathon, um, Roberta Gibb in... I think the 1960s, she ran in like a giant sweatshirt and like hid in the bushes before the race started. So no one would notice that like a woman was also like, God forbid competing alongside the men. Um, and one other really, really striking example of inequality in elite sports, like at least as someone who doesn't like watch sports or like keep up with sports that religiously, when we were taping a waves episode on Brittany Griner, I was just shocked to learn that her salary was in like the low hundreds of thousands of dollars in the WNBA, which is like a nice living. But when you compare it to men making millions and millions and millions, it's just such an incredibly stark difference. Though, like, you rightly point out that, like, we're talking about high school sports, we're not talking about people at the very, very extremes of talent here. And so to bring it back to high school sports, so like imagine, okay, we let boys play on girls' teams and girls play on boys' teams. Um, and let's take like the example of football, which is a kind of an extreme sport. Size matters a lot. Girls are on average smaller than boys. Like you let f- girls play on boys' football teams. Evan, I'm going to pose this question to you. Aren't a lot of girls going to end up getting hurt? aren't we keeping girls safe by keeping them on separate teams in that context?
1: I mean, when it comes to football in particular, my opinion is that we maybe don't value the bodies and safety and futures of boys highly enough. I kind of don't think the risk versus reward is there with full contact football. And I'm kind of against letting young children play it, um, maybe even high school children, but if someone disagrees with that, if someone really does see a value in football specifically, I kind of don't see why they'd worry about girls when they're not worried about boys. If there's something that's so good about football that makes it worth um, all these injuries, uh, including like like concussions <laughs> that can like have a life and death, you know, um, then I think the same value that they're seeing that makes it worth it for the boys is there for the girls too. I
0: really find that framing so interesting of like, well, if we're so worried about the girls' safety, we should be worried about the boys' safety as well. We can't just put our boys through whatever. Um, I my like controversial opinion is that we shouldn't have football too. (laughs) Um I went um and I think like one of the things we're really asking about is when we ask if sports should be co-ed, um, or if we should be separating them into like boys versus girls, is like what are sports supposed to be for teenagers? Like if you talk about a racing football, well then there goes the whole like Friday Night Lights setup, which is of course the the television series and book and movie about a town that is just like absolutely revolves around the high school football team. And it's like, well, it our sports supposed to be like that, which is kind of like the glue of a community at the expense of other things and a spectacle for adults? Or are sports supposed to be a place where kids learn about collaboration, reaching goals as a team, being gracious losers? And I think one hugely overlooked aspect of high school sports is like, It's just a space to learn about movement and to understand that, like, movement can be fun and to, like, learn about things like, you know, eating enough fuel before you go and play a game or lift weights and, like, how to, like, let your body recover and what to do when you get injured. Just all of those mechanical things that, like, set you up for, like, a really good life of, like, being active. And... If you make more teams co-ed, you open up space for students to join and be valued, even if they're not very strong or very fast. When I think about like, oh, what if we separated running teams by pace instead of girls versus boys? Then you say, well, like, yeah, then we have like a segment of the team that runs like eleven-minute miles or twelve-minute miles, or like is just learning to like, you know, run walk their runs and running is a really wonderful tool for depression and it has all these health benefits and it's just like an excellent life skill to have regardless of uh, how it, let,
1: let's uh, let <laughs> Let's agree to disagree on running specifically, which I hate, but I love biking. I love swimming. I love lifting weights. And I think that people of all ability levels can find joy in moving their bodies and challenging themselves.
0: So I actually like, I'm sorry to take us down that path because I hate it when people are like, oh, running is like the best thing you can do for yourself. I hate that it's kind of the default, default, like, oh, I'm going to like get in shape and jog. I I think people should do whatever feels good. But I also firmly believe that if there were more space in high school sports for slow runners, more people would be into running and finds it like a joyful exercise. I'm with you there. We are going to take a break here, but if you want to hear more from Evan and myself on another topic, check out our Slate Plus segment, where we will be talking about Adam Levine's sext
1: messages. And please consider supporting the show by joining Slate Plus. Members get benefits like zero ads on any Slate podcast, no paywall on the Slate site, and bonus content of shows like Amicus, Slate Money, and of course, this one.
2: We've been talking about
0: sports and gender and biological sex and what happens when you let girls play with boys. Evan, where do trans youth fit into all of
1: this? One thing I liked so much about your suggesting this topic is that we were able to get through the whole first segment without once mentioning trans people or trans kids. And, you know, that's exactly why desegregating sports by sex particularly kids' sports and more casual levels of sports, would be such an amazing thing for trans youth. What we've been seeing in America in recent months has been this huge coordinated push from the Republican Party to make trans people in sports a wedge issue of our time. There have been dozens of bills targeting trans youth participation in sports, almost always meeting outright bans on trans girls playing on any girls team, and sometimes targeting trans boys, playing with the boys as well. And what we've seen is that this has resulted in some really absurd outcomes because trans kids don't play sports that much. Um, So we have situations like the one in Kentucky where the only trans girl playing on a girls' sports team in the entire state was banned from a field hockey team that she literally helped to start. A lot of the media coverage that led up to this legislative assault on trans youth has focused on elite athletes. But as we were saying, the fact is that everyone benefits from being active and pushing their limits, and very few people are in that elite cohort where the minutiae of whether one athlete has an unfair advantage becomes much more important to get right. As an aside, I do think this is a much more complicated picture in elite sports, Um Media portrayals sometimes lose the nuance of how much hormone therapy can end up changing trans people's bodies, and the evidence suggests that competitive advantages may not persist after certain benchmarks. Are met. But putting all that aside for these less competitive levels of sports, if the new norm is that they are mixed gender, then the problem of trans youth playing sports at more casual levels just melts away. A trans girl or boy or a non-binary kid can play on the same team as everyone else, get the benefits of athleticism along with their peers, and their transition doesn't have to become this crisis point for them or for their school. Shannon, have you been hearing about these attacks on trans kids playing middle and high school sports and what do you make of them?
0: Well, first of all, kids should not be attacked for doing anything. They're kids. And in particular, the case of the the trans girl playing uh, field hockey and being banned from her field hockey team, one thing that was so striking is that her team members really wanted her to play. And they were, you know, like when they would score goals, they would like shout out her name um, even when she was benched. And it's just like very heartbreaking to see adults get involved in this way but for me i think like it comes back to this bigger picture idea of what is the point of sports and particularly kids sports and part of sports in addition to all of the stuff we've been mentioning is Just like learning to coexist with other kids uh, and to work together, to lose games graciously, to be a good sport about it when someone's better than you. And it's just impossible to see how being inclusive of trans kids does not actually enhance all of those aspects of playing a sport. The restrictions and attacks are obviously transphobic, but for me, they're also kind of misunderstanding what middle school and high school sports are. And one thing that I've been thinking about a lot in prepping for this episode is just like the obvious benefits of co-ed sports. In just like Googling things and researching co-ed sports, I found like an info page from a high school athletic association in Arizona that was not political at all, maybe even based on some of the colleges that they were advertising, uh, kids from their association were going to, maybe even conservative. But it it laid out, you know, the benefits of co-ed sports, like friendship, mutual respect, recognizing everyone for their own unique abilities on the field. It's not really a political <laughs> statement to say that, like, inclusivity is good for sports, it's just when you start specifying like who will be included in the sports, and you know that trans kids will be included and non-binary kids will be included, and maybe girls will sometimes be stronger than boys. Like that's when things get hairy, and people are like, "Oh no!" But like not that inclusion.
1: Yeah, uh, the truth is that trans kids are much much less likely to be involved in um, in sports because people are bullying them and they don't feel comfortable and i do know that people have a lot of fears around trans youth right now um i know for some people it can seem really hard to accept uh, i try and make room for people to just be learning and feeling things out and i think the benefit of something like this is in not singling trans kids out uh specifically it just kind of underlines how much more similar people are than they're different um you know one thing that was really brought home to me when I did transition was that the biological sexes, as as different as people think they are, you know, it's not it's not as much as you think. I mean, you know, I don't think I would be able to have the life experience of going out in the world and, you know, everyone who doesn't know that I'm trans just thinking I'm a normal guy you know, if the differences were so big in terms of, you know, personality or body structure, you know, something would would have to give me away. People would notice. And the reality is that, that people don't notice. And it's not because I'm the most masculine person. I was never in my life mistaken for a, a, a man before I went on testosterone. It's just that the differences between men and women aren't it, – it's not that they don't exist, but they aren't as vast. They aren't as all-encompassing as as people think, seem to think.
0: And it's just so threatening For some people to hear that. And it's funny because I was just saying in our first segment that, you know, oh, there's this big gap between the men's world record time for a marathon and the women's world record time for a marathon. Biology has to be playing some kind of role in that. But really, we're talking about the difference between like a two-hour marathon and a two hour 14 minute marathon. Um, And if you take a step back, those are just like slightly different flavors of like, wildly incomprehensibly fast.
1: I I guarantee you, the man with the two hour time and the woman with the 214 have a lot more in common with each other than they do with all of the men and women who don't spend their lives training to run marathons as fast as that.
0: Yeah, and I bet you would find like a bunch of biological similarities between them that like exist between them and not between the rest of the population. But, Absolutely. Like,
1: Certainly not me. Yeah. I'm five two.
0: <laughs> predispose them, exactly. Like predispose them to running faster, to like gaining muscle, et cetera, et cetera. Can I pose a question for you that I think a lot of people might have? I think that one of the benefits of separating sports by gender is at the high school level that the girls who are at the top of their game like really get that space to shine and one kind of like nagging concern i have at the back of my head as we talk about this is like okay if we mix everyone together that's good in a lot of ways but what happens to those girls who would be say stars of their basketball team but if you put them on a mixed gender team are just like a little bit more average on the team
1: Well, we have been focusing on less elite athletes. And for me, that's very much on purpose. I don't know if I think the Olympics needs to change or that elite divisions of college sports need to change, um, but we're talking about the high school level. I think we need to recognize there would absolutely still be girls who, just by chance, were among the best athletes of their school at a high school level, even in a mixed gender environment, particularly in small schools where there weren't very many jocks, so those averages, you know, didn't have time to, like, work their magic. So there would be fewer girls who were star athletes, but it wouldn't be zero. And there wouldn't be this guarantee of a handful of girl jocks who were the best girls in town. And I think whether you think we'd be losing something if we lost that cohort kind of depends on how much value you place on that being a social category in every single high school. So let me turn this back on you as the, as the athlete between us. What do those girls represent that you think is important?
0: That is such a good question. And that just like strikes me in the heart as someone who was like a a girl cross-country runner on a girls team and very proud of that. So like as you're talking, one of the things that I'm thinking is like you mentioned there wouldn't be a guarantee of that like cohort of the best girls. And like for one thing, those girls would still exist. Like we would still be able to like watch them on the court or the track and honor and celebrate their skills, uh, even if they don't happen to be like the very best person on the court or the track in in each and every moment. And I, I think that like especially if we look toward honoring and celebrating the skills of like more than just the very best players. Then you can see, okay, we we can take someone who would be a star on the girls' basketball team and put her up against people that potentially could be better than her, and we could still celebrate her achievements. I also think that, like, co-ed sports versus gender-separated sports, Um we've been talking about it like we're going to flip a switch and maybe have all co-ed sports be all the time, and while that might be, like, a better norm, um we're we're very much like we're not going to wake up tomorrow in that world and we're kind of like talking about blurring the lines so that we we can have more inclusive leagues and more inclusive games and like you know not kick that trans girl off the field hockey team and you know a- allow people to separate based on ability a little bit more so I think that we can have a space We can have a world that is much more inclusive without being like, there will never be another girls' team at this high school. And to be honest, like, when I really think about what we would lose if we stop having girls' teams at high schools, like, I just think about how much I loved being on my all-girls cross-country team, like, those were just some of the best memories from high school. Like we we would get dressed up in themed outfits ahead of meets and we would have, you know, special breakfasts in the cafeteria and we would go to cross-country camp and braid each other's hair. And I think in some ways it's just hard to imagine my sports experience any other way because it was set up as, you know, a girls team. And I think it is possible to imagine, like, wonderful experiences uh, with, with like a slightly different cast of characters happening in other setups that do not rely on the gender binary to that extent. I can imagine someone being like, yeah, my, my co-ed team ruled because I have been on co-ed teams that also rule.
1: I, I can't help when I'm listening to you um, to share my own high school remembrance. I was at a very small high school uh, about, I think it was under 400 people, and our absolute best athletes were our cheerleaders. They won competition after competition. They were the best in the state. I'm pretty sure they won some regional titles as well, and none of other our other teams ever won anything at all. Uh, they were just a complete joke. So the girls had all of the glory. They had all the trophies, and uh, most of them were even pretty nice, so I'm, I'm not even mad. I grew up in a town where the best athletes, undisputed, were all girls. Even with the genders being segregated. And I think that informs what I believe is possible in a co ed environment. Women and girls can excel even when their competition is men. We're so used to an environment where men's athletics are overvalued, it just kind of warps what we think the possibilities are if we, you know, moved away from all that.
0: Before we head out, we want to give some recommendations. Evan, what are you loving right now?
1: Okay, stay with me because yes, I am going to recommend a video game, but this is one I am completely sure everyone of all ages and skill levels will love. It's Power Wash Simulator, the game that lets you live your (laughs) fantasies of running a power washing business. Okay, I'm joking a little bit, but this is basically oddly satisfying the video game. You get a power washer, you get unlimited time to tackle each project. Um, sometimes you're cleaning a motorcycle or a car sometimes it's a house it gets increasingly fantastic so you have weird projects like spaceships Um, and it's just the total zen of like slowly and methodically washing line by line all of the dirt away and watching the object or the place go from grimy to sparkling clean in real life I hate cleaning but I just love the zen of this game how about you, Shannon? What are you recommending today?
0: <laughs> that is amazing. Um, I'm going to recommend that so- is something a little bit higher commitment than a video game. So I think that this is a nice pair of recommendations. I'm going to recommend getting a dog. Uh, it is my fifth anniversary in a few weeks of having my Chihuahua Beagle Mix Ada. I adopted her um, in October 2017. And she is just... Like the best thing that ever happened to me in a lot of ways. And I was just thinking back to how, around this time, five years ago, I had finally decided to get a dog. And I'd been talking about it for such a long time. Like, how much I wanted one, and I wasn't sure, like, oh, well, like, dogs are expensive, and, like, I technically had enough money, but could I use that money for other things in my life? Like, was this the most responsible thing to do? And the person I was dating at the time, this is the part of that relationship that has just, like, continued to have the most positive impact on my life, even though we broke up shortly after Um, for unrelated reasons. He was just, like, You've been talking about getting a dog forever. Like, why don't you just go do it? And so if you are listening and you are on the fence, just get a dog. Get a dog. That's our show this week. The Waves is produced by Shayna
1: Roth. Shannon Paulus is our editorial director. Alicia Montgomery is Vice President of Audio, and Daisy Rosario is Senior Supervising Producer of Audio for Slate.
0: We'd love to hear from you. Email us at thewaves at slate.com.
1: The waves will be back next week. Different hosts, different topic, same time and place. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the
2: ones who get in early,